Leonard Lopate at large. I'm Leonard Lopate. The latest book from Pulitzer Prize-winning historian David Hackett Fisher describes what happened when Africans and Europeans came to North America and the growth of race slavery uh, collided with ideas of freedom, liberty, and the rule of law in the mostly English-speaking colonies that became the United States. The book, African Founders, How Enslaved People Expanded American Ideals, is published by Simon & Schuster, and it brings Professor Fisher to our show now. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Hi, I'm glad you're there. Uh, isn't the history of how enslaved people from different regions of Africa interacted with colonists of European origins to create new regional cultures in the colonial United States relatively little known? Has it been ignored by historians? I wouldn't say it's been ignored. Um, it's been studied in its parts um, in many different ways. Um, but uh, I don't know that anybody's quite put it together as I've tried to do. And you write here how uh, enslaved Africans and their descendants enlarge American ideas of freedom in varying ways in different regions of the early United States. So how much was our country shaped by African influences in its early years? Profoundly, I would say, in many ways at at once. What um, makes this country uh, special uh, is its uh, is its creative diversity. Uh, we were first uh, uh, of many different uh, European and American Indian origins, and then of many different um, African origins as well. But has there been a tendency to lump all of the Africans who were brought here as slaves into one basic group? Despite what you say, uh, different physical differences, language differences, religions, arts, crafts, music histories in their home areas? Yes, I think profoundly different one from another. And uh, uh, the more we study all of this, um, uh, the, the more diverse we discover it to be. I have not discovered much sign of hostility amongst them. Um, I think uh, they, 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 they were more conscious of, of the conflicts that they had with their European masters, and that tended to bring them together, I think. You point out that the Africans brought with them any number of attributes, including linguistic skills, novel techniques of animal husbandry and farming, and generations-old ethical principles. And you argue that diverse African cultural features like philosophies, ethics, folklore, language, music, foods, agriculture, technical skills, combined with European and indigenous cultural practices to form a composite North American tradition. Yes, I would say not so much combined, but interacted. Hmm. Uh, It was a dynamic process. And it was different Uh, uh, in other countries where slavery was practiced? Well, I think so. But uh, the United States was extraordinary for uh, for its diversity. Uh, There were other countries that were very diverse, too. Brazil, for example. But by and large, um, the the Anglo-American colonies, uh, by reason of their number, and then by uh, reason of the diversity of the European migration to them, uh, and then by the diversity of the African migrations, not to mention the Indian uh, diversity of the many different Indian cultures here. All of that covered a huge area in North uh, North America, uh, and um, there was there were, uh, and uh, and the diversity compounded on itself. That's what, I think that's what made America what it is today, and it's also what keeps us free. I think diversity is a key to our freedom. And there was diversity among the white communities: British, Dutch, yes, Scots, Irish. So. Uh, first of all, amongst different groups of English-speaking people, uh, the Puritans who came to Massachusetts came from a particular part of England, from from what's called East Anglia, east of London and Kent, mm-hmm. uh, southeast, and and then it was for each of the other regions, uh, the, the patterns were a little different. The the um, in um, in uh, New York uh, there was a very hard, a very very important uh, Dutch uh, settlement that preceded the English and then controlled it. In Pennsylvania, it was most. Wait, wait. Let, let's stop with that for a second because you're talking to me in New York. So the Dutch were here first, and then the British came and made uh, New Amsterdam into New York. Um, yes. How much did the interaction with the enslaved Africans? change as a result? 
Well, I think they became they came, became part of it as well in that, that whole in that whole process, uh, and uh, they added they added other layers uh, to to that culture. Um, and it and continue to do so today. What about the religion of the, the white communities? Were they all pretty much just variations of Protestantism? Well, the Protestantism, first of all, was uh, profoundly diverse. Uh, they, there were many different Protestants. There was, there was a big difference between the Puritan Congregationalists and, and the Anglicans of Virginia. Uh, and the Quakers were, were far from both of them. And the Scots-Irish had a Presbyterian faith that was, that was very different. And then there were English Catholics who came to Maryland. And uh, all of that compounded this this extraordinary mixture that makes this country what it is today. But the Quakers were the first to actually outlaw slavery. Uh, in fact, uh, there's an area in Dutchess County called Quaker Hill where the first anti-slavery protest meeting in North America convened. Uh, the area was a stop on the Underground Railroad, although you'd never know it from the current residents. So uh, things occurred at a certain time. And and then uh, they kind of disappeared over the years since. No, I don't think they did disappear. I think. Uh, are you? So what were you, were you thinking about the Quakers or the African Americans? Well, the, the Qua well, the, uh, I, I know that area, Quaker Hill. Uh, you, yeah. you don't see too many um, African Americans, and uh, the Quakers have all left. The only well, thing that's left is a Quaker meeting still, house. They, they are still there, and we uh, we interact with them when we go to to Pennsylvania. Uh, but they but Pennsylvania has become that's Pennsylvania. I was talking about uh, Dutchess County, New York, the, the, near uh, Connecticut, with, with a large fl flood of um, Germans who moved. To the Pennsylvania Quakers were very much open to other people. And they uh, they were architects of diversity themselves. They encouraged the the the, 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 uh, the Pennsylvania Germans to settle there in large large numbers and, and other groups as well. So there were uh, varieties of slavery in America depending on the area. You, you yes. talk about nine Afro-European regional cultures that developed yes. in early America. Yes, that's right. And uh, they uh, they were they were they were very mixed in in uh, in, in, in their in their ethnicity, uh, in the the the, 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 ba the economic base of American regional cultures in early America were, were really quite different one from another, and uh, in, in, in different in many other dimensions as well. Was there curiosity among uh, the Europeans about all of this? For example. Uh, you quote Gustave de Beaumont, who had been commissioned by King Louis-Philippe of France to inspect American prison systems with Alexis de Tocqueville, uh, as having write, written in 1832, the slave yes, he, is he in chains. Tocqueville and Beaumont traveled widely in, in America, yes. And he wrote in 1832, the slave is in chains, but how is one to eradicate his love of liberty? How is one yes. to blot out his intelligence, which he might possibly use to break his bonds. Yes. Now, this is a, a French uh, observation, but was this this sort of thing being written by any of the the Americans who were yeah, also I, looking yes. at slavery? I think many people were observing this the same sort of thing, uh, and where there were these different groups that were interacting uh, in different places. The result was the compounding the, the the pluralism of America, and I believe it's the pluralism of America that is the key to our open society. That's what keeps us open and free. Well, how different were the Afro-European regional cultures in Puritan New England, Dutch New York, Quaker Pennsylvania, Virginia, Mar and Maryland, the Carolinas, Louisiana, and Texas? Were, were well, they, the would we have been there, able to spot how different each one was if we had traveled yeah. across the country? Well, to, to the people who lived there at the time, they were profoundly different. The Puritans uh, who founded in, in Massachusetts... Uh, went to war with the Anglicans who founded Virginia and started the English Civil Wars. Hmm. Uh, and they argued about religion. They argued about politics. They argued about economics. They argued about many different things. And those differences were compounded then by other groups 
um, that, 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 that appeared in other parts of America. So these were these really were were very different from the star and they were conscious of their differences. And their question was, how could they find a way of living at peace with each other uh, while persisting in their differences? And all of that led to the invention of various ways of coexisting that became the U.S. Constitution and our system of our very complex system of, of laws and and political uh, uh, institutions. So they were arguing their different positions as they were writing the Constitution. Yes, uh, and they've been they were they had been uh, uh, differing amongst themselves for eight generations before they sat down to write the Constitution. And then when they did that, uh, they did it um, with very much with that in mind. The person who's often taken to be the father of the Constitution was James Madison. Mm -hmm. You've heard of James Madison. Of course. Yes. Good. I've done, in fact, and, uh, I did a recent radio show on James Madison. Oh, good. Well, then you will know about uh, how he um, uh, was an architect of the, one of the, the authors of the Federalist Papers uh, and uh, a, a part involved in the design of the Constitution. Uh, and he was trying to do that to protect a system of a republic of liberty and freedom. Uh, that was that was uh, uh, so diverse in its in its in, in, in its culture. And, and the, the irony many, of the phrase "all men are created equal," Thomas Jefferson's phrase, yes. it has well, not been lost on many equal, people. But they were also created with many differences uh, at the same time. And the question was, how could they live in peace and under a system of law? Uh, with each other and how could they tolerate each other's differences because things were so different in the north the border states and the south how much of yes. an impact did the various laws that were enacted during the slave trade from the earliest days of the country until the end of the civil war have on the nature of slavery in the various areas like i'm not fugitive, sure what you mean by the laws that were enacted well uh, for example the fugitive slave acts of 1793 and then of 1850 yes well, uh, this was uh, this was written, and there, there were there were some phrases in the Constitution about all of this. And the question was, uh, what rights would um, uh, would would uh, individual people have? There were many other questions. One question was, uh, should we continue with slavery? Uh, and uh, uh, from the from the very beginning, there were many Americans who who believed that 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 slavery should be abolished, and in the early republic, it was abolished in half of the American states. But, um, and there was a there was a, a battle in many of those states in that process, but it was done. But wasn't uh, it, it complicated in some ways? For example, New York State outlawed it, but then uh, the the port of New York was uh, was very important to the slave trade. Well, they they outlawed the slave trade in New York as well, but it was difficult to enforce it. Uh, and there were there were always people. Uh, there was a, unhappily there was a lot of money to be made from the slave trade, uh, not only in the southern states but also in the West Indies and others. And there were always people in New York who were looking for uh, for, 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 for for those profits and it was but the but the uh, people in New York turned against slavery and against the slave trade and there was a struggle in New York as in every other state uh, and there were people who continued New York continued to be a port in which slave traders um, assailed illegally all the way up to the Civil War. Uh, at the same time that others mm -hmm. were trying to put an end to that. And there was a terrific struggle that way. Uh, it was uh, Americans always um, uh, seeing uh, the problem was that, that, that the, the, the slave trade was hugely profitable to people who engaged in it. And so American capitalism was often often found itself really drawn into slavery at the same time that other Americans, including many people in business, were trying to put an end to it. And so we were, we were deeply divided and we had had conflicts everywhere in every state over what to do about that. And uh, a large part of early American history is about those conflicts. And it took us a long time to work it out.
we didn't we 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 still haven't worked it all out. But we, it, it, first of all, we it, it broke the country into in, into in, in, into into pieces, and it, it came apart over this hmm. question in the in eighteen sixty. We uh, had a civil war. The bloodiest war in American history hmm. was the was the civil war fought over the, these questions. And then since that time, we've been struggling again to try to put the pieces together. And we still haven't solved the problem. We're still working at it. We're getting we've made progress, great progress in this country. But we still have a long way to go. My guest is David Hackett Fisher, whose latest book is African Founders, How Enslaved People Expanded American Ideals, published by Simon & Schuster. He's a university professor of history at Brandeis University. And interestingly, in one of his books, Historian's Fallacies, he coined the term historian's fallacy. Now, okay, so slavery lasted about uh, in about half of the United States until abolition. But in the decades after the end of Reconstruction, many of slavery's economic and social functions were continued through segregation, sharecropping, and convict leasing. And is the process that you're talking about in this book uh, also continuing in, in those yes, areas it, as it, well? We, we're, we're not done yet. It's, it, 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 it still continues. Unhappily, exploitation in all of those forms uh, was, um, was profitable to some of the exploiters. And some people uh, keep trying to do it. And as long as um, as that happens, we'll, this this process will 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 continue. But we are making progress. I think we've we've come a long way, and uh, and I think we're, and, and it's these are. I think we we have to acknowledge that we still have a problem. But we have in in, in I think you could say fifteen generations of struggle. We have made major progress in, in, uh, in moving away from slavery and race inequality uh, toward a, a better and, and fairer sort of society. Is there any irony in the fact that uh, many of the, the people who we might call racists still consider a culture that was formed to, to a fair degree through the interaction of the various races to be their culture? Yes, I think that's that's a country that's music, a very for example, part of American history. But uh, many uh, there there are there are still racist Americans who think that their that their racial ideas are fundamental to America. They persist in that way of thinking, and that's a very small minority today. Most Americans reject that, uh, and increasingly young Americans reject it. Uh, but it's still it's it's still with us. Probably it always will be with us, and so we will always have to keep it uh, keep struggling to to keep it under control. You really think that it's only a small minority? Is hasn't critical race theory become a big issue throughout this country? The they always, they've always been an issue throughout this country. Yeah, for sure. Why? Why do you? Why does that surprise you? Well, the, it seems to me that uh, it's not just a small group. I think uh, maybe a small group is uh, the hardest, hard, most hardened version. The ones who who marched uh, in, uh, you know, uh, yelling the, the the Jews will not replace us. But uh, uh, I, I think that it's it's across the culture. There we we see various aspects of racism in this country. Um, yeah. That's despite the fact that you provide examples of how African-Americans creatively transformed and enlarged founding ideals and institutions of this country. Liberty, justice, marriage, property, ownership, education, mutual support systems. Yes, and I, 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 we have been living with that uh, and through it uh, and through the full span of my lifetime. And I, I'm sure yours is as well as uh, we've been constantly trying to enlarge some people in America have been trying to enlarge um, uh, rights for for all people um, to um, to uh, fight racism and race uh, racial discrimination as best we can while echoes of it persist 
and uh, probably some echoes will always persist. So it will be an ongoing um, e effort that uh, that will extend as far into the future as we could see. But overall, we have gained more than we have lost, I think, in all of this. You it, it, that's my that's my view of it. I think we have to be realistic about the the persistence of the problem. But I think we can also recognize the progress that we have made. You point out some of the ironies that exist, for example, that the Chesapeake log canoe, a type of sailboat, evolved from the West African dugout. Yes, I think so. And uh, there, there were the people tended to borrow from each other. Uh, in, 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 uh, and uh, I think that's uh, uh, America is an extraordinarily creative place. And I think the creativity of this country derives from its diversity. We learn from each other. We keep rediscovering new ways by learning from people who are unlike ourselves. And that's part of the genius of this country. Uh, and uh, so that, that we want to, I think, cherish our diversity because it, uh, it's, 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 it's a source of our creativity. And that's exactly the way I think this country has grown. I think most Americans are aware of that and contribute to it. There, there are other Americans who are always um, uncomfortable with others who are unlike themselves. And we have that persisting in our own time as well. Now, the slaves became Christians. Uh, was there any resistance? Were there attempts in some parts of the country to hold on to the African religions and the African now, traditions? Well, there were attempts to, um, to, um, to create, um, uh, I would say, create new forms of Christianity amongst African-Americans which often included some uh, some echoes of their of of of, of African of, of African customs and and and, and practices, uh, but I think it was a uh, we we can see uh, uh, in 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 their ways of uh, in their in their music, hmm. uh, African the, the, the incredible uh, riches of of African American um, music. Much of it uh, was religious. The spirituals origin. that uh, the spirituals, the spirituals yes. that that people sing, white and black, sing in this country. Very much so. And uh, th those spirituals, I think, uh, derived from both European and from African um, uh, people in the way that they, they, they became something new in the world and very creative. Uh, and uh, with an undercurrent of, of sadness in those spirituals, but also with, an, uh, with another current of hope uh, for, for things to come. And I think that's part of America, and that, that, that's, that's they're, they're urgently important um, well, uh, in, in our history. Well, we, we read uh, all sorts of things into some of the spirituals, like Go Down Moses, yes. Tell Old Pharaoh, Let My People Go. Uh, yes. It's quite clear what that message really is. It's not about Egypt. Yes, I think that's right. And uh, in all of that... <laughs> We have we have broadened uh, broadened our our system. I'm going to put there my phone. Okay. Can I call you back later? Bye. <laughs> Sorry, my phone just rang here. Apologies for that. So you were saying we were we were talking about uh, the, the 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 double message of some of those songs, like let my yes. people a number of songs about uh, his, about slavery and uh, and freedom. Uh, yeah. In the uh, that yes, were... I, those songs are very beautiful and 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 and, and very deep in part because. Because th th those, all of that is built into them that you just described. Yes, I think that's an important insight. And uh, do you think that they gave the slaves any kind of uh, uh, sense of hope? Oh, I, I think so. I think that uh, that 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 religion uh, gave gave slaves uh, hope in in in, in 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 a profound way, and uh, they made it their own religion. They would go out in the woods and worship amongst themselves, getting away from their masters. Um, and it would it would help them to, to to come together. It would help them to to be strong in the face of the cruelty of slavery. And then in the in, in the in the in the cruelty of, of racial segregation after slavery. 
uh, and, and, and to keep up the effort to overcome all of that. I think we can see that going on. And don't we have the, the legacy of that even today in areas where integration is the norm? There are still black yes. churches. Yes. I think that's profoundly important to America. A, a way in which the interaction of Africans and Europeans uh, has become fundamental to Americans striving for liberty and freedom and for the things that we think are fundamental to the way this great republic works. So this, they, they, this diversity is a key to American history. Well, how much of the diversity had to do with just the fact that slavery was practiced all across the country? And how much of it had to do with the fact that the people who the Africans who were brought here were brought from all over Africa uh, and, and brought all sorts of different traditions? Yeah, well, all of those things were working at the same. I mean, all they, they, that, there were the layers of diversity there that were that were, they were all, all all working together. And then the question was how to find some elements of unity in the midst of that diversity uh, that could make America strong, more strong, and more free. And much of America, American history, is about the quest for that sort of strength of becoming more strong and more free uh, through all of that. Now, how much of what we know comes from the writings of slaves, slave narratives? Um, wasn't there an attempt to keep them illiterate? Yes. We, we have many slave narratives that survive. Uh, most of them were re recorded. Uh, thousands and thousands of them survive. Um, and uh, and uh, they, are, uh, they survive in many different forms. And uh, some of them were, were, to, to, were, were put in, um, were written down. Uh, um, hundreds of them were published. Uh, but the, the great the great bulk of them were not, but they survive in, in oral uh, records. So, so have some of the languages um, the they Library spoke? Of Congress, most of all, um, they were recorded uh, early in the New Deal, when still people who had been born in slavery were still alive in the 1930s, uh, and uh, they were recorded th th that way. And they survive uh, the, the, the place where they the, the largest. Uh, there are many different archives that hold these things, by far the largest is the Library of Congress. Um, and, uh, but they are in many other libraries as well. And they are increasingly uh, reproduced in many forms. M much of this now is online. It's very accessible today. Thousands of slave um, uh, um, uh, 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 biographies of, of slave testimony are now available online. And can be read directly and by anybody who's interested in that. So and have, many people are. Um, so have the they languages often, they they spoke and the cultural and spiritual beliefs they brought with them. What was that? Been, I'm sorry. So have the languages they spoke when they came here and the cultural and spiritual beliefs that they brought with them been preserved or have they no, been largely were, lost? These were all. Most of this was that was in English. These were after slaves. Slaves were very quick to learn English. They were extraordinarily skilled at learning languages. And they, they, they quickly began, began to use English in America or, or French in Louisiana or whatever. Uh, they were, there were Dutch-speaking Africans in, in, in the Hudson Valley. Uh, and uh, they, they worked within those European languages, even as they pre preserved their own sense of identity. Um, and, um, and and that's how that's how we uh, we we know about them because uh, uh, their, their their oral traditions were were recorded and written down and 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 survived today. You're listening to Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York ninety nine point five FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Why can't you and me learn to love one another? 
conversation with David Hackett Fisher. If you sign up to become a member of WBAI during today's show with a contribution of $50 or more, you can receive a free copy of the book we're discussing, African Founders, How Enslaved People Expanded American Ideals. To do that, uh, just go to online to give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 during today's show, and we'll be happy to send you a copy. That's give and the number 2 WBAI.org or 212-209-2950. But don't forget to make that $50 donation in the name of London Lopate at Large, and we thank you very much. And return now to David Hackett Fisher to talking about his book, African Founders, How Enslaved People Expanded American Ideals, which is published by Simon & Schuster. Now, you... Uh, didn't you go to Africa? How did you did some of your research in Western Africa? What were you hoping to find? There? Are you asking me? Did I go to Africa? Yeah, I know you did. Yes, we I, did. I saw it in we the book. We tried to go to as many places in Africa as we could uh, visit. We couldn't go everywhere. Uh, we wanted very much to get to Angola, but it was in, in convulsed in, in 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 a very long civil war. Mm. Uh, the countryside littered with landmines. And we were unable to, to travel in Angola. But, but you, we got into almost all the other places. And you visited the port of Anamabu on the Gulf Coast. Which yes, we have. A significant source of enslaved labor during the 18th century. Why yes. there in particular? I, I'm, I'm having trouble hearing you. You said we, uh, we were in Anamabu, yes. Why was that a significant source of enslaved labor? In particular, uh, it was a, just a very important uh, trading port on that coast, uh, and uh, it was a port, port of uh, a port of access uh, for uh, for shipping. Uh, uh, that, uh, that there were there were various ports like that, but that was one of the most important places. You include anecdotes from diaries, letters, and memoirs, and along the way you provide profiles of hundreds of people of African descent. Yeah, uh, we have a lot of that material. It takes many different forms in the slave narratives that are diff, diff, uh, I, I talk about that in, in I describe all these these uh, these sources in, in in the book and uh, there are many thousands of these slave narratives that survive and some of them and so are... we can actually we can we can uh, we can read them we can also hear them because some of them were recorded orally and we can we can hear the voices of these people as well as reading their words. And that's an extraordinarily moving and, and enlightening experience to be able to do that. We can do that at the Library of Congress. Now, some of the, the names are uh, may be known to my listeners, like Massachusetts poet Phyllis Wheatley. But some of yeah. the others, like uh, Yarrow Mahmoud, a, a Muslim uh, master bricklayer in, in Maryland, Louis Congo, the royal executioner of Louisiana, and a Texas cowboy named Matthew Bones Hooks. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And the more we look, the more we find. It's inexhaustible. The, the, he, uh, Hooks sounds like a memorable character. He said he could stay on any horse alive. Yeah, there, are, there are memorable characters every, everywhere we, we, uh, we, we search. And uh, growing up in Baltimore, I knew people who, were, who had stories of their own to tell. And I heard them and listened, and uh, both people who were African American, European American, talking about themselves and each other, uh, and ab about the things they had heard and seen and done. Uh, so, uh, yes, and, and I'm happy to say that uh, a lot of people, beginning in the 1930s, began to put these records in forms so that they are preserved today and they're accessible to anybody who wants to who wants to, 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 to go and hear them. Uh, you can find them online. Uh, you can listen to them uh, in some cases online um, and, uh, and, and uh, work through many institutions, but they're very accessible. How relevant is what's been labeled hyphenated ethnicity? Well, I think that's uh, that's a very important American idea. I think uh, 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 the, uh, there's uh, hyphenated Americans 
are at the very center of American history, maybe more in this country almost than any other way, when usually that means that people could think about themselves in two different ways at once. Uh, and uh, they could think, in my case, I was on one side of my family, it was German-American, and the other side, it was English-American. But it doesn't matter which we were, we were all hyphenated mm. in one way or another. Although that, uh, and, go ahead, finish. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I think that's that was that that was the main point, and we share that in common. That diversity is something that we all have within within ourselves, uh, but it's never twice the same. But then, uh, and it's then it becomes complicated again, with that keeps us creative and sets keeps us free. But it becomes complicated when we have the children of interracial relations. Oh yeah. It gets complicated, and sometimes it gets ugly when people begin to uh, battle with each other. Uh, and um, unhappily, um, there is there is has always been people have always been a problem of of conflict between different groups here. So we've had a lot of that through American history, and we've had a lot to overcome, and we've overcome a lot of it. But it's still here, and it always will be. But we'll keep on overcoming. We we shall overcome, as mm-hmm. they said. On the other hand, weren't some slaves considered pretty much members of the family? They lived with the family. No, they were. Well, they were members of the family. I mean, because they were uh, they uh, they were having um, uh, they were inter, they were they were inter, inter interbreeding. But I mean, I'm just talking about the ones who lived as cooks and personal servants, and yeah. were, they brought up the kids. Yep. Yep. It gets, I, mean, so it got I was complicated. raised in a household like that. Uh, the, um, uh, Flora Jackson had much to do, and, and a, a, a very uh, extraordinary African-American woman, great strengths of character and presence. And she had worked for my mother. She worked for my grandmother. She was very much a part of the family, though she had her own family. She's very active in her own church. And she raised us, and um, along with my other, with my mother, and I think many Americans of my generation had that sort of experience. I don't think that happens quite so much in the same way anymore. They were becoming more racially mixed in other ways. But uh, but we had that in, in, in the world that I grew up in. I was a, I was born in 1935 and I was raised in the 1930s. And I was in that in that in that in that where Jim Crow was still very strong in Maryland, but the interaction between Africans and and Europeans went on on a daily basis inside the kitchen of my house, and uh, and that was that was that was the that was I was cooked in that broth, so to speak, as was everybody else of my generation in Maryland. And little by little, little culturally, there was integration. Jazz, for example, in uh, I guess in the 40s, started becoming totally integrated. Uh, oh, yeah. And there were all sorts of other cultural areas that were. Uh, but I want to go back to the, the actual to the overview. You write that for the history of African slavery in America, the leading source is the transatlantic slave trade database. What is that? Uh, this is a record of of of, of slave of voyages of ships carrying slaves to America, and it's a huge undertaking. Uh, the undertaking done by several different groups of, of scholars. I lay it all out in the in, in, in the in the book, and it's all been it's all the results have all been put online uh, today. It's always it will always be incomplete. But it still includes many, many thousands of voyages, gets bigger every day. One thing that's very interesting is that uh, we have discovered in this uh, information that most of the Africans who came to what is now the United States came directly from Africa. Now, it had been thought two or three generations ago they came by way of the West Indies. That's not true. They, 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 were, they were African. Um, and um, I think that made the African origins even stronger in in. In, in what is now the United States. It wasn't filtered through other places as some of the historians in the, the, the last two generations sometimes uh, believed. So, we, so the African role is it's more direct uh, than, 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 than we, had, uh, than we had, had, had thought earlier. And why do you think we had gotten it wrong? 
thinking that so many uh, had uh, come from the British West Indies? I don't know. I, I, it's difficult to know how how errors uh, creep in and get repeated. But it, it, but the, and then and they began to spread. But now but now they're being corrected from the, from the evidence of these these uh, these voyages of thousands and thousands of ships that. Um, that my colleagues have put together. Yeah, looking at the list, I mean, what what they compiled, even by 2008, they had gathered data on nearly 35,000 transatlantic slave voyages from 1501 yeah. to 1867. So the slave voyages began just nine years after Columbus's first voyage, 1501? Yeah, something like, yeah, something like that. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and persisted through all of that, that period. Um, so in those 366 years, slaving vessels boarded about 12 and a half million captives in Africa. Well, but, we, but they we, landed we, 10. There's still a lot of I have to say there's still a lot of guesswork in those numbers. Uh -huh. But something like that is probably right. That, 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 that's the present guess. Uh, but we keep refining that. I would say as we refine it, the numbers seem tend to grow. Uh, but uh, I don't I doubt they'll grow a lot. But uh, but they're, they're, the more we learn. The, the, the larger the subject it becomes. Well, as I was saying, 12 and a half million captives in Africa landing 10.7 million in the New World, which means that over 1.8 million Africans died during the Middle Passage? Uh, probably something like that. Maybe more. I think probably more. But yes, um, a, a very heavy uh, loss, loss of life. And yet, uh, most of most of survived uh, to to get to the new world and to be, and, and then um, to become part of that process of of enslavement. So the latest thinking is that ninety five percent of the people who came as slaves were, had been born in Africa, even though for a long time it was thought to be a lot less. Yeah, I guess I think that's roughly right. I don't know something like that. My guest on today's Leonard Lopate at Large is David Hackett Fisher, whose latest book is African Founders, How Enslaved People Expanded American Ideals. It's published by Simon and Schuster. Now, um, you also track insurgencies, which were often followed by punishment and repression. Yes. Um, what, how many insurgencies were they, and were they all over the country, or just yeah, again, in the areas they were that were most repressive? Um, it, uh, there, there, were, there, were, there were revolts and rebellions from the start, uh, sometimes by individual slaves, sometimes by very small groups, uh, growing through time. Uh, and the, um, growing larger and larger into the era of the Civil War, when so many uh, former slaves uh, joined the Union Army mm -hmm. uh, and began to fight for their freedom in a in a blue uniform. Wasn't literacy a form of resistance? Uh, their the literacy grew very slowly, very slowly, uh, and lagged far behind. Um, and but uh, it, there was then after after emancipation. Uh, 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 some people who observed said that it was suddenly like a whole race, observing a whole race going to school. That is to say, after after emancipation, um, former slaves of, of every age uh, began to learn to read and write. Uh, with a terrific effort, they 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 learned from anybody who could teach them. Uh, they learned from each other. They learned from white kids. Uh, uh, they went to school wherever they could get an opportunity. But they knew that learning was a way to freedom. Uh, and so they were embarked upon that. And, um, and um, it was amazing to, to see how quickly um, uh, um, former slaves who had been Ill 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 illiterate uh, began to, to educate them themselves with the help of many others. So let's get back to the subtitle of your book, How Enslaved People Expanded American Ideals. What are some of the American ideals that you are pointing out that they expanded? 
well, liberty, freedom, uh, democracy. Uh, those are the ideals I had in, in, mostly in mind. They, they enlarged all of those ideals. Uh, they enlarged the idea of what it means to be, to be free. Uh, they extended freedom into many aspects of our, of our lives. They expanded freedom in other of its dimensions. It's not just a two or three dimensional idea. And they did the same thing with liberty. Liberty and freedom are two different ideas, by the way. Um, they come they come from different places. Liberty comes from the from a Roman root, libertas, um, and uh, freedom comes from a German root, Freiheit. And um, um, freedom meant to be admitted to the rights of belonging. You would be admitted to the freedom of a town, which means you had the freedom of being a citizen of the town. Uh, liberty uh, meant um, uh, uh, meant uh, not the rights of belonging, but it meant liberty as separation uh, from bondage. And they were in some say were opposites in that way, even as we think of liberty and freedom as both pointing in the same direction. But they were opposites in other other ways. And I think that's that's very interesting. That's why I often talk about liberty and freedom together as two different sides of the same coin. And both very promising. But then if we look at what happened uh, after Reconstruction, we had Jim Crow. We had a president who actually segregated much of Washington, D.C. Yes. And uh, we had uh, segregation in, throughout the South, in, including a fair number of members of Congress who promoted it. Yep. Oh, that, that's that's the that's the, the, the pattern throughout American history, uh, and you could think about it as something like two steps forward and one step back, and that kept happening. But that that two step forward and then one step back is always overall a step a, a movement. Uh, in, in, it's movement. It's a progressive movement. Uh, and so we've we've always had the steps back all the way along, but we've kept moving forward. And you see, you're optimistic about the future. Absolutely. Despite uh, the fact that we have, is, despite the fact that we have uh, somebody going into a uh, a grocery store uh, in Buffalo, New York, and, and shooting it up simply because there are a lot of black people there. Yeah, uh, we, we we see these horrible things happening every day, but still we're moving. It's still two steps forward, and then one step back, and then two steps forward. And that's the way we that's the way we, we, we make progress. I think I think we, we have it's clear that we keep having these backward movements. But we're we also it's also clear that we have made a lot of progress in the past 400 years and we're still making it. And you said a lot of what you uh, of this material is available online. How yeah. would I access the transatlantic slave trade database, for example, Just or any of the other on, one? All you have to do is just put, type those words into your computer and it'll all pop right up. That's all you have to do. And uh, you'll get all the instructions that you need. If you need more, you can get in touch with the people at the Library of Congress. But I think you can just type those things right in and you'll, you'll get the answers on your screen. We have just a couple of minutes left. Is there anything that I haven't touched on that you w wanted to talk about? I think you pretty well covered uh, covered the ground. I think I, I would only add that uh, this is um, this is the the, the, the history of our, our past is also the prologue of the future. We still have a long way uh, uh, to go, and my guess is it will still be two steps forward and one step back, <laughs> and we should try to keep working on those forward steps. <laughs> well, the the question I kept on asking myself as I went through your book was. Why is so much of this? Why does so much of this material sound new? <laughs> is it because we've we've uh, had a vision of of how uh, the impact of race, of slavery and race in this country, and we've just simply lived by it without and ignored all of the other aspects of it? 
Well, I, I can't speak for others, but let me speak for myself and say that for me, it was a process of discovery. I kept discovering more things. The more I looked, the more I found. The more I studied, the more people emerged, the more um, horrors I found about slavery. And the more I found of people who overcame those horrors. And then I found yet more horrors and more overcoming. And we're still far from the end of that process. Well, what I was thinking of was the title of one of your books, Historians' Fallacies. Uh, So historians get things wrong. All the time. But sometimes we also get things right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and we, what we can do is we keep that's what keeps us working. We have to we, we learn something and then we get something wrong and then we have to do it again and get it right. But then we'll make another mistake and then we'll then we'll do it once more. Well, and that's the way knowledge grows. It's not a simple, uh, easy uh, move upward. It's uh, it's a struggle. Uh, and that's it's also um, it's also a challenge, and um, I, I hugely enjoy all of that. Well, I enjoyed talking to you about your corrective of history here, <laughs> called African Founders: How Enslaved People Expanded American Ideals, which is published by Simon and Schuster. My guest, David Hackett Fisher, is university professor of history at Brandeis University. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on our show. Well, I enjoyed your questions a whole lot. And, oh, uh, I'm very and pleased it, about that. It was, uh, it, it was a happy, uh, happy time for me. Okay. Well, unfortunately, that does bring us to the end of our show. And uh, if you're just discovering this program and would like to hear more about one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access our nearly 700 past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. Our podcast, which has surpassed 1 million plays, is available on iTunes, Apple, and everywhere else that you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to write to me, my email address is leonardlopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to ask you to support WBAI to keep the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. We're asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to make a contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by calling 212-209-2950 or by going online to give to WBAI.org right now. That's 212-209-2950 or give and then the number 2 WBAI.org. Well, we need your help to keep bringing you this unique, in-depth content, information you don't usually get anywhere else. And as I mentioned earlier, anyone who makes a contribution of $50 or more in the name of Leonard Lopez at large right now can receive a copy of the book that we've been discussing, African Founders, How Enslaved People Expanded American Ideals by David Hackett Fisher. So why not make that call right now at 212-209-2950 or go online to give to WBAI.org. And you might also consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy. And we will say thank you if you do with a WBAI tote bag and some other perks uh, and we will give that to anyone who signs up to become a BAI buddy for $10 a month or more. And that allows us to plan for the future. So we really appreciate uh, it if you do that. Either way, I hope you'll call right now because BAI relies totally on listener donations. We don't take ads or foundation grants, uh, which allows us to be completely free speech radio. If you tune in regularly to Leonard Lopate at Large, why not let us know that you appreciate what we do on the show by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 to play a part in keeping this historic station the only one on the New York radio dial that's 100% listener-sponsored, alive and thriving with your tax-deductible support. And we hope that you'll join us tomorrow when my guest will be Lev Menand, who will discuss his new book, The Fed Unbound. We'll see you then.